Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is Wednesday, June 13th, 2018, and it's a beautiful day where we are, and I hope it is for you as well also. Uh, so I'm going to start with this a fun quote that I heard from one of my favorite poets, a guy named Rumi. Uh, he says, uh, let yourself be silently drawn by this strange pull of what you really love. It will not lead you astray. So words to live by from Rumi. Uh, we're going to go ahead and change up the order uh, of the podcast from this point forward. Normally, I do Pro Tour News, talk about what's been going on for the past week, and then we bring on our guest. Going forward, we're going to talk to our guest first, and then afterwards, we'll talk about the news. We'll do the fantasy votes. We'll do all that kind of stuff. Um, but I want to have the podcast work out in such a way so that it starts out with the, uh, the, the guest and the topic of the day. So um, with that, we will be bringing on Will Schustrick in just a minute. Uh, I will be introducing him and, uh, and then we will have our topic of the day. Uh, oh, it's so funny. I just said I'm not going to talk about news from last week, but I do have to say uh, congratulations um, to the winners of the Beaver State Fling, uh, Katrina Allen and Igor McMahon. Um, I did see a great quote from Paige Pierce, and I wanted to share that with everybody. She said uh, on one of her Facebook posts, she said, I want to thank you all for cheering us all on, not just me, not just the ladies, but all of disc golf. We are growing as a community every day and will continue to do so as long as we stay passionate. Hallelujah, Hollywood, a tip of the tuft to Paige, uh, a true champion and uh, great words from her. Um, that was a, that was a really nice post for her to make. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, the sport is growing by leaps and bounds. And it is exactly because everybody in disc golf is so passionate about making it grow. So with that, we're going to get to the, the work at hand. What I want to tell you right now, uh, tennis is a fascinating sport uh, to both play and watch. Uh, just like disc golf, the more you know about the sport, the more interesting it is. You learn to see the nuances in the game. You learn to appreciate the athleticism and the strategies. Everyone can watch a 500-foot drive, drive land inside Circle 1 and be inspired, know it was amazing. But what we don't know necessarily, we don't know what the wind read was. We don't know why they threw a, a huge Annie line instead of a Heiser line. There are nuances to the sport that you don't get unless you do. So the, the more we know about the game, the more fascinating it is. Tennis is fascinating in another way, though, because tennis is played on significantly different surfaces uh, from hard courts in Australia and the U.S. Open to uh, the clay at the French Open to grass at Wimbledon. The events in the Grand Slam of tennis are played on all three surfaces. To win on all three, you must be a very well-rounded player and a student of the game. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know that when you go to clay, you're going to slide all over the place. The ball is going to bounce differently. The, the game is significantly different. One of the things I love about disc golf, and we touched on this a little in our conversation last week with Jeff Spring, is that we play it in the woods. We play it in the fields. We play it at, at elevation and with elevation. Sometimes we play it at sea level and on flatland. Um, we play it with various winds and we play it in various weather. Uh, if you win at the Memorial, it requires a different skill set than a win at Idlewild or a win at Jonesboro, which is different than both of those. So one of the things that we've seen over the last decade is that uh, the USDGC introduced the idea to me of uh, golf, ball golf style disc golf. And the question is, is that a good idea? So our guest today is Will Schustrick. He's a champion of many premier events, a renowned course designer, and a student of the game for sure. If you've met Will, you know that he is a thinker. Today, I would like to talk with Will about whether it's important to, um, to shift our premier events to golf tracks 
whether where they are easy for spectators to watch, or should we preserve significant variety in the courses that these events are played on? Is there an ideal course? And should we strive to maintain this variety that we currently have, but maybe losing? Should disc golf develop a grand slam if a variety of, I'm sorry, should disc golf develop a grand slam that has a variety of courses as part of its definition? So those are the things that I want to chat, chat with Will about. And with that, I'm going to bring Will into the conversation. Hello there, Will. Can you hear me? Hey, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's nice to see you, sir. You look good and you look like you are moving fast. You're right. I'm actually going at about 35, getting to 40 miles per hour right now. I assume that's within the speed limit. You're right. Okay. Now, are you in England? Because you're on the, clearly on the right side of the car. Are you in the England driving? No, not driving. So I'm, I'm very safe. Okay. Uh, we have not had anybody driving on the podcast yet. So this could have been a first. Maybe. Uh, but maybe we'll just, we'll just leave it that it's not happening and that's a good thing. There you go. Uh, so uh, one thing that I always love to ask you, Will, uh, in my opinion, you're recently married, but at this point, it's probably not recent anymore. How is Trisha doing? She's great. She's driving the car right now. Um, marriage is fantastic. I'm very glad to hear that. The other question that I'm always interested in, at least for the last year or so, is how is your shoulder? Uh, it's all right. Um, you know, a lot of, I get that asked, uh, several times a day. So it's really easy for me to answer it to, for a quick version for like a slightly longer version. Um, it's basically, um, you know, I, I was injured for about a year and a half or a year or so. And, uh, it takes a little bit, um, from the reading and the research and, you know, the people that I talk to and consult basically about it, it takes a long time to play at, the right the right way or basically play without being injured a good little bit to actually build the correct muscle memory and so getting confidence back into playing is kind of where i'm at so i've seen you at a couple of premier events this season uh you seem to be doing uh well some of the time uh obviously yeah. you, haven't, you haven't won any of the pro tour events or national tour events so far um, but you are performing <laughs> very well. Uh, how does it feel for you and what are your expectations when you go into a, a premier event? Um, so I would say across the last couple big events, I've started out really well when it comes to Jonesboro, like you mentioned, or San Francisco or even Beaver State Fling, I've started out really well and I've kind of slowly kind of fell in, um, after that. Um, I don't think that it has necessarily anything to do with preparation. Um, don't think it has anything necessarily to do with practice. I think, um, it's just a matter of building confidence, um, round after round. And, um, something that I talk about a lot is the fact of all of the newer players that are coming into this day and age of disc golf that are playing and competing at such a high level. Um, when I started playing and I was the number one player in the world in 2011, um, there were maybe five or six people that I would legitimately think that could win the tournament, um, counting myself. And I think, um, nowadays I would say that there's maybe 20 legitimate people that could end up winning the tournament. Um, and I could say that pretty confident without even thinking or naming names. And I feel like I could name 20 people that could legitimately go out and win a pro tour or a national tour at this point. Uh, so competition is what I'm hearing. It's not uh, fatigue. It's not injury. Um, I'll go ahead and say, number one, you're probably not at the top tip top of your game. And, and number two, everybody, there's so many other players. It's it really yeah. crazy. Yeah. Double, double whammy. Absolutely. Um, and I'll go ahead and just do it a little aside. And that's, that's that what you said right there is one of the reasons that the pro tour concentrates on having such flat payouts. I want the guy in 20th place to earn five, six, $700, if at all possible, because that's the guy who has to be able to make it from week to week and may not have crazy support from a sponsor. So, um, right. 
those that's we we go ahead and try really hard to have really flat payouts uh, so that these guys can stay on tour, develop a brand and, and get a following in much the same way that you've already done. So, um, I'll go ahead and just ask it. I have it written down. It's a little uncomfortable for me to ask, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Will you be a force on tour again or is your is your career shifting in another direction? Um, I would go with yes. Um, it's not an immediate answer, um, of yes, because of several things. One of them being that I do so many different things right now and I enjoy so many different things, um, about the sport of disc golf, but also I say yes, because I practice and play and revolve my life around disc golf so much that I don't see how it could be a non possibility. Um, I'm out there playing. Um, you know, I came back to Nashville for about a week. Just to give you an example, I was in San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland for the last three weeks. I'm headed to Utah on Monday. But I came back to Nashville. I actually have three courses that I'm working on within the city, um, along with doing some videos and clinics. And then I'll be headed to Alaska after Utah to do uh, a clinic before the big King of the Hill A tier that goes on up there. So. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with yes, just because if I don't, I don't <laughs> see how I would continue. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I love to play. I, I, I really love to play. I think that, um, expectation is an athlete's worst enemy. And so yeah. when it comes to people thinking that, um, you know, Paul Macbeth doesn't win the Beaver state fling, oh my gosh, he might, he might be falling off his career and it's, it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy, but, you know, I think that just kind of goes back to what I was talking about with all of the players that are coming into the sport. All of the new players that are coming into the sport really make it look like, you know, the, the previous years, our players are really falling off and really not doing well as, as well as they used to do. But you look at Ricky, you look at Paul, you look at, I can't say Eagle, or I can't even really say Simon a whole lot you know, the four top players that everybody talks about whenever they're traveling and playing at the top level, because there's so many new players that are out there that are up and competing. Drew Gibson being the first one that I can mention and Eagle being the second one, um, just because they're, they're young, they throw far. Um, you get the new day and age disc golfer that are following them on their social media accounts. They want to be involved. They want to know what's going on. And even though they haven't won major tournaments, they're getting the attention like they have won major tournaments in 2009. If that makes if that if that makes any sense, like if you won a major in 2009, you would be getting the type of attention that they are getting now for the stuff that they're doing. I uh, I think about Nicolo Castro, who in 2010, with the exception of Worlds, seemed to win everything that he played. And uh, he's he's getting less attention than just just like you're saying the the, the new the new young guns, um, right. although new is exciting. So that's uh, it was very exciting, and, and and that's a great example. And I I was talking about this the other day with one of my friends, and <clears throat> Nico was um, what everybody sees as as people now, you know, being amazing at putting and driving and parking every hole. Is Nico was that guy that had a 200 foot throw in every single round. Like it was, it was mind blowingly ridiculous how good he was at putting, approaching, just being accurate. And I think everybody, you know, whether Eagle watched Nico play in years past or not, I think that he kind of he, whether admits it or not, could attribute some of uh, his style of play to him because I was affected by him. Paul Macbeth was affected by him. Eulaberry, Drew. I mean, they all they all were from back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I'll go ahead and say, I think three years ago now, I, I had a conversation or three memorials ago, I should say, I had a conversation with Paul Macbeth that said, how is it, how's it going to feel in three to five years when there's a new crop of players coming up who have just been watching you and learning how to play by watching you. So you're, you're kind of the, the bar. And if they are not as good as you, they don't even want to bother. And, uh, that's it, unwittingly we are creating our own demise or the, the top pros are right. showing That's funny. yeah showing the younger generation how it should be done yes i agree i mean you look at it it's the same way in every sport so it's and especially for disc golf because it's growing so fast 
Um, there's kids that are wanting to grow up to be professional disc golfers instead of professional baseball players nowadays. Yeah. And so I think it really has a, you know, it's a really obviously a large impact. And that's one of the reasons why I see so much. Um, I think I see so much joy and I see also see so much opportunity in the different aspects of in the realm of disc golf when it comes to disc golf instruction or when it comes to course design, because there's so many new players in the world that need to learn how to play. There's so many different governments and, and city townships that are grabbing the sport of disc golf and saying, this can be incredible for the entire town for giving some kids or people something free to do outdoors that could actually combat so many problems that they have, whether it's problems in a park or getting kids outside that usually have a problem and you know it's just the type of unique aspect of the sport uh 100 percent, and another unique potentially unique i mentioned the tennis analogy but another unique aspect of our sport is the fact that uh i started playing the game in dense woods in virginia and i i thought that's what the game was and then one day I took a trip to Scottsdale, Arizona and played this course around a big fountain. And there was probably 20 trees on the entire course. It was a very different experience. And then I watched the USDGC and they're playing on not actually a ball golf course, but what could easily pass for a ball golf course. And they've just got ropes everywhere. Another totally different experience. Is that a positive for disc golf? Or is that a negative for disc golf? Do we need to, to make things streamlined and, and the same everywhere we go? Or should we embrace the variation in our courses? I actually think that we would get a problem if we tried to, to, um, to take away the variation that has to do with disc golf. Because when you, when you get approached by somebody, and you can relate to this, when you get approached for a new course in a specific town and a city says, hey, we want to put in a course by the airport, we have this wide open piece of land that's about nine acres, we don't do anything with it, but we're going to add a trailhead right there and we want to add nine baskets, you're going to say, yes, I love disc golf and nine baskets are going in, you're right. And when a golf course calls you and they say, hey, you know, we're not really selling that many golf court rentals and we're not selling that much uh, drinks or alcoholic drinks, we would really like to find a way to invest a few thousand dollars into getting a disc golf course out here and see if we can get some more people. You're going to say, yeah, you're right. You want a disc golf course and I'm going to come out there. So in my opinion, I, I really hope that it I don't I don't, could, I don't really foresee it being that type of thing that is like a foot golf is a really good example because because foot golf only goes on golf courses right. specifically only will go on a golf course um and i don't think this that disc golf should ever go to that i think that it's um a unique sport that attracts unique people that attracts unique places and all of those go hand in hand in hand because you have property off the side of the interstate, you have a golf course, you have an elementary school. They're not related any other means besides the fact that you could put some disc golf holes on every single one of them. So there's no reason why myself would go to any single one of those places ever. I would never go to one of those things. I would never walk around the woods at Cane Ridge Park, which I'm driving by right now, where they have two 18-hole courses. And so there's no reason why these people would go out and there's no reason for me to travel to Bowling Green, Kentucky, besides to go up there, besides to go up there and play the 15 disc golf courses that they have in their town at all of the parks. I would have no idea. And so I, don't, I really hope that disc golf stays on the path of being unique. It's not one direct path. I love the way of the... Uh, visits like the disc golf pro tour championship down there at new world is the venues when it comes to people watching um I, I really like the idea and i know that the pro tour goes with this of finding ways for people to watch if that has to do with more wide open holds because we can fit 300 more spectators i think that's a decent sacrifice so it's interesting. I love talking to people about topics because they think about consistently think about things differently than I think about them. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, as a course designer, uh, you mentioned the concept of I like variation because if someone comes to me with a city park or with a, a little open field or a golf course or uh, who cares, Atlantis or a cave, I don't care where they are. I want to put baskets in there and I want to bring disc golf to those people. 
Um, and then, and, that, and I hadn't even considered that. I'm, I've designed a couple of courses and they're both, well, with the exception of Maple Hill, they're, they're not, they're, they're fine, but they're n nothing, nothing fantastic. And my apologies to the courses. Um, but, uh, then you closed by saying, if you need spectators and you have to open it up, maybe that's okay. So I want to, I want to chase that tangent a little bit further. Um, for example, let's talk about Maple Hill. Uh, there is probably room on, uh, after the first three holes, there's probably room for 50 to 150 people to follow through holes four, five, and part of six as you come out of those woods. Um, should that be a limiting factor for a Pro Tour course? Like long-term, maybe Maple Hill shouldn't be on the Pro Tour because it doesn't have enough room for spectators, or is it okay if we say spectators can't go to those areas? Um, Maple Hill has, has, is a very good example, actually, and I think that it's I think that it could be becoming part of disc golf that you say it's actually not a spectator friendly area. Um, we ask, especially with the tea time aspect, you can't have uh, a group following the third card and expect a large gallery to stand around Forest tea pad while they're playing hole three and throwing a big S shot and potentially coming up towards the basket and landing around the 200 spectators. Um, I think that's something that is, is somewhat limiting, but you know, that's something also that disc golf offers that is very unique whenever you play through the woods. So there is a, there is a fine median between those two that could make it merge perfectly. If that makes any sense. There's a fine what? There's a fine line between, oh. between being too wooded and where it holds back the spectators and kind of affects the, um, affects the play on the course because there's so many people out there watching and the spectators are only going to get bigger and larger and there's only going to be more people coming out to watch. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's ever going to be 5,000 people out at Maple Hill watching disc golf, which I would love to see. And I'm sure you would love to see as well. Um, what does that mean for a lead group that has 4,000 of those spectators and where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Are they going to be in the way or are they going to be watching? Are there going to be specific spectator areas that you go from one to the other and you have basically valets that say, okay, if you want to go to the next hole, follow us now. Yeah. And you have ropes and you have people follow them around. Basically. Well, to, to that point, when people go to a golf tournament, uh, they're not normally following a card from what I understand. They'll go sit at Amen Corner or they'll go sit at hole 16, which is an island hole. And they watch the top 10 to 20 groups come through. And then they see the lead guys go through and they really only get a glimpse of them for 10 to 15 minutes or however long it takes to play a hole. Um, right. So, so when we get to the point that there's thousands of spectators at a place like Maple Hill, I think we'd, I don't know if you sell tickets to hole one and two or uh, just tell people to go wherever they want, but right. we could easily just, you know, put people on holes one and two, put people on the, the hill in the back. You've got 16, 17, 18. There are areas where lots of people could watch, but I'm not sure that's, what we're looking at well yeah and right now everybody just expects to follow the card the whole time so it's it's right. a whole different concept yeah so uh are you well let's just go ahead and say should every course like we just had uh, the masters cup played the last round on a golf course san francisco played on a golf course um utah will be on a golf course glassblown was on a golf course um it feels like right now in this, this part of the season, it feels like every event is going to a golf course. I'm glad we just had Beaver State Fling, which has played a couple of beautiful courses through the woods. But is that something that we should strive to go towards? Should we go towards a bunch of golf courses where we can get spectators and make that our focus? Um, I think that it when, it, when a course comes to, um, when of course comes to the fact of having large tournaments and spectators out on the property with the ex expectation of selling tickets for people to come out to watch 
And we do not want to get into a realm of, okay, you have a ticket to watch hole one, you have a ticket to watch hole 10 type thing. Um, and you're going to have people basically roam around whichever group they want to watch. And the spectators are only going to get bigger. And we want these venues to continue on a long-term venture with the disc golf pro tour, as example, San Francisco. And we're going to reach the masses. We're going to get 10,000 people to come out there. I do think that the golf course, golf course style, um, like you even said, the Rock Hill, South Carolina, Winthrop Gulf is still, is still in quotes, a golf course style. I don't know if it's because it's open or it's because it's elevated, whatever way you would, you would like to define a golf course style. But I think Milo also fits underneath that umbrella of being open enough, but also challenging because you have to shape shots with elevation and trees that are um, perfectly in the line of the shot to make them challenging. And it's also a beautiful park for spectators to come out to watch this fly through. And it's also challenging for the player to compete for par, compete for under par. And it's not either, you know, nobody is complaining about the courses out of Milo from, from my understanding. I, I don't hear any complaints. I think that they're incredible. They're beautiful. They play very well. Um, San Francisco, I heard, I heard a couple different things. I, I enjoyed the course. I think that there's a couple things that they might end up changing towards next year coming into the course. Um, just the way that it plays based off of a player standpoint. But when it came to the people sitting up by 18 watching, you know, the, the players finish or teeing off on hole one and you see these big massive drives with the clubhouse right there. Um, it's really hard to beat that atmosphere, especially when they have a clubhouse that can sell food and lunch and you can sit around and hang out and wait for your favorite player to tee off while you're spending money there and you're being around disc golf. And that type of thing is what disc golf needs, I think, to go to the next level. Uh, I agree. And I agree 100 percent, actually. San Francisco, I think, uh, and I'll agree with you, a couple holes tweaking the, the, the tees or the pins 80 to 50 feet. Yeah, you, you've got things a lot better, um, but overall, that that style of course is fantastic. And uh, to your point about Milo, uh, having trees that you need to shape around and being and still being open enough for people to come and watch. Again, uh, I think of Jonesboro. I don't I don't know if you've been to Jonesboro yet, but it's a very similar look and feel to. Um, to what you're describing Milo as. So uh, Jonesboro lets, lets people come out and watch. They walk the whole course and then they get to, they, they get to easily watch without being in the way. Um, one thing that I do love uh, about Maple Hill and Idlewild and, uh, and even half of the courses at, um, at Green Mountain Championship are that they are absolutely in the woods. They require the players to throw a very different shot. And, uh, and it's, it's really challenging. It's a totally different game is, is I guess what it is. Um, the players have to shape their shots. If they go off the fairways, they're going to get a kick. It might not be a favorable kick. And, uh, and they then have to do a little punch out at, at uh, Fountain Hills at the Memorial. Even if you're off your line by 20 or 30 feet, you're not behind a tree. You just have a different type of approach shot. So uh, in my opinion, the courses should continue to have as much variance as they can. Uh, Will is saying um, that, yes, we should have variance, but we have to bring in my, we have to bear in mind spectators. And, uh, he's a hundred percent right on that. And I'm going to go ahead and add in the caveat. We also have to be able to film these events well. So in addition to having online spectator, uh, on-site spectators, we also need to bear in mind, bear in mind the online spectators. So it's not just that we want variance and we want these to have good spectators, uh, to your point. Well, um, but we also need to have good camera lines and we need to pe people to be able to watch these e and film and watch these easily as well. So, uh, we'll, let's, let's go ahead and have some fun here now. Um, let's pretend that we wanted to make a, uh, a grand slam of variety, different variety courses. And I'm obviously quite a bit partial towards Maple Hill. So I'll put my Maple Hill up there as the, uh, as the wooded New Englandy type course. Uh, in your opinion, as the, so the, the MVP open, 
or the Maple Hill event would be our one of our events in our Grand Slam of disc golf. We're just having fun here. We're not actually divining anything for real. Um, but go ahead and tell me what your uh, obviously I guess USDGC would be our golf style course. Just the the uh, the what the prestige of that event. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, uh, give me a couple of other types of golf that uh, that we should throw into our our pretend Grand Slam. So I think that you would go. So are we? So I think that you could go pretend Grand Slam. I think that you should have based on par, or maybe based on distance instead of par. We'll base it on distance, and we'll base it on wood slash open. So you should have short wooded, long wooded, short mixed long mixed and then i think long mix could actually be maple hill i think that would actually be a mix okay um and then you would have short open which would probably be everybody's least favorite i think short open is everybody's least maybe i don't know wait as far as the players go players 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 okay uh now short open to me sounds like the memorial okay there you go it's uh, a Seven thousand seventy five hundred feet. The courses are relatively easy, um, but they absolutely challenge a type of golf. You have to have accurate distance and you're right. Yeah, exactly. And be able to putt. Absolutely, yes. And be able to putt. So, and then there's then there's long open, which you could call. uh, Hold on a second. Which course doesn't require you to putt? When you know, let me know. (laughs) <laughs> you will meet there and play around. Yes. <laughs> That'll be the best round of disc golf anybody's ever played. That's the truth. You just get within 80 feet and we'll call it. When you're close, pick it up. Just move on. The gimme. Um, um, and then long, the last one being long open, of course. And what's, what's our long open major or, uh, grand slam event? New world. Oh, very good. Nice. The tour championship. Yeah, of course. It all comes back. It all comes back. Uh, Will, I couldn't have asked you to close that out better. Um, I'm going to give you a second. We're running up to the end of this segment, but I want to ask disc golf instruction. uh, How is that going and what do you do and how can people learn about it and sign up and learn the game from you? Um, so discgolfinstruction.com is where to check it out. Um, our entire main goal and kind of our motto is to learn to play disc golf the right way and to learn to play disc golf the right way. I think also grows the game because you have the player who is out there onto the course for the first time, touching a disc for the first time, knowing how to, um, grip it, knowing how to reach back, knowing how to follow through. And I think it is, it is intended. I don't think it's intended. It is intended for the player to enjoy playing disc golf from the first time that they play. Um, I've, I've heard throughout my entire life of people saying that, Oh, I played disc golf four years ago. I didn't really enjoy it that much. And then, you know, four years after that point, they had their friend actually take them out who knew a little bit more about the sport. They had a bag of discs and then they showed them how to throw, showed them what discs they should throw. And then all of a sudden they love playing it. And so I think that the enjoyment aspect does go with learning how to play the sport the right way. And a good example is playing a playing basketball with a soccer ball. You're not necessarily just going to show up or, you know, how to get fitted for the right clubs in golf. You know, if you're going to have super short clubs or really long clubs, you aren't really going to enjoy playing. And once you have the right clubs and you know how to swing the golf club, then you're going to enjoy playing golf. And so I think the same thing goes for disc golf, but right now disc golf is such in a unique spot that it's growing so fast. It's hard to really have a dignified way to tell people how to play whenever they go buy their first disc at Academy sports or Dick sporting goods, or they get it in a package from their family for Christmas. They don't really know what they're doing. Um, and so disc golf instruction is solely, um, built around teaching to learn teaching, players to learn to play the first time to go play um right now we do have the beginner series out um but what i've done is every single time that i do a clinic around the world i have the clinic filmed um very i I try not to edit it at all because you get people who are asking questions or you get the mess ups and my talking or whatever it is so it's it's perfectly live um anybody who signs up to be a member they get exclusive access to those clinics online um, I then come out with um, a couple free videos. I just came out with one called uh, 12 Death Moves in Your Disc Golf Game. And so it's uh, 
um, just, just ways for people to say, okay, well, maybe that would make sense. I do that all the time. That could maybe be the reason why my game's not going to the next level. Um, you know, and, and just little fun things like that, that show people like, you know, I'm here to try to teach people to learn to play disc golf the right way. Um, it does cost eight ninety nine for the beginner series, which I think is a really fair price point, especially with the professional editing and the quality of sound and everything that goes along into that. Um, I'm working on a lot of different things. I'm working on, uh, I'm, I'm actually working with a couple sponsored players who are basically sending me a critique of their form and I'm um, using an app that I have to go through their form and to tell them exclusive things on how to work on or do this or do that and it records the voice. And so I'd love to make it to a point to where people can send in their form and actually have a professional critique that and have it sent back to them, which would be um, pretty amazing. Um, but I logistically want to be able to make it happen. And, you know, that's something that is, isn't necessarily a long-term goal. I think that's something that I can, I can do fairly, fairly easy, just have it to where it's concise and makes sense for everybody involved. And, um, I really think that this type of thing is one of the fastest growing markets in disc golf. Um, just because you look at the, you look at the players that are coming into the sport. Every single player is a newbie. Every single one needs to be told, this is how you stand. This is how the sport's played. And in the long run, those types of players are going to come out to the disc golf pro tour and actually want to spectate and see how it's done on a professional level. Right. And so disc golf instruction is that type of thing to where it's going to take some time to build it up. It's going to take a little bit. It's going to take a little bit of time, of course, to come out with those series. Um, I film everything that I possibly can that has to do with teaching instruction and material and make sure to put it on there and send it out to everybody who's a member. Uh, that's I'm so glad I asked that question. And uh, we you know, I didn't set this up for you or anything, but but I do appreciate you coming on. And I try to find out what people are doing that, that go ahead and come on. But uh, it's very interesting and exciting to me that you're. Uh, focusing on those those first couple of rounds. Let's let's start you off in a positive way. Go ahead and follow through, or whatever it is that you tell people. I uh, I'll go ahead and say I'm going to go find those twelve death moves because okay, please. That's very very fun. Is that on the website? Yes, that's a free video that anybody can go watch. It's okay. discgolfinstruction.com. There's free videos tab. You scroll down, 12 death moves in okay. your disc golf game. Very good. Are you going to hint? You're going to give us one hint on a death move or do you want us to go look? Oh, man, you got to go watch. They're all they're all pretty good. And I think that, you know, we as a touring pro, you hear a lot of times of people doing stuff that is actually somewhat funny. And then you hear of things that probably five years down the road, you're kind of like, you know, it actually would make sense if it actually makes sense if you didn't do that anymore and you tried something else. And so there's a couple of them that all, all the touring pros are going to say, or pros that watch are going to be like, all right, that's pretty obvious. But there's a couple of them, in my opinion, that actually do hurt people's disc golf game. And I think one of the biggest things people don't really realize is throwing in a field, in my opinion, is actually a death, what I would call a death move sometimes because people get so stuck on, okay, how does my form look? How does my disc fly and all that kind of stuff instead of actually going into the course and practicing hitting gaps and practicing throwing towards a basket or seeing a disc fly around a tree because in a wide open field, I can't remember the exact effect and you probably know this, um, but you don't have any depth perception. You don't, you don't get to see how short or long it is. And so it's like uh, they had somebody like Steph Curry go out to the desert and shoot three pointers. And then they had them go into a basketball court to where they had the backdrop and a wall behind it. And then they had him shoot three pointers there. And also that kind of goes into throwing into a field and then going into a course and not seeing any results and people get frustrated and they get stuck throwing in a field, throwing in a field, throwing in a field when you should go to the course, learn to score, learn to scramble around trees, stick your foot in the bushes and throw a sidearm around the trees and stuff like that. But you never get to practice that kind of thing in the middle of the field. That's uh, that is fantastic. It makes me even happier that I never have done any. <laughs> Congrats. You did it. 32 years of disc golf. I've never gone in a field and just thrown discs. I know that you've done it for a reason. And there you go. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> now, that's your reasoning. You can say you're not, you really, you're not supposed to. And it's, it's not saying that you shouldn't ever. It's just saying that there's people that, I, in my opinion, can ruin their game from only throwing into the field and being stuck on field work, field work, field work, but go out to the course and play some holes. So field work is useful, in my opinion, if you're trying to get distance. It could be, yes, yes. And if you're working on something and you don't want to hit trees every single hole or if you don't yeah. want to take up 
take up some space on the course, then I think that is 100% totally fine um, to either, you know, do one or the other. If your course isn't really packed, then going out to the course also could just be doing field work. That's true. And that's, that's what I did. Rather than field work, I would just play three rounds a day. So there you go. 18 holes of field work three times a day. That's, that was good enough for me. Um, Well, thank you very much. Do you have any closing thoughts? Um, no, I don't think I have any closing thoughts. I want to thank you for, uh, coming on here. I'm excited for the Utah open. I'm excited to get up to Ogden. I've been, uh, working with Jade a good little bit. Uh, he's got a new course that's going in up there, um, called the fort. I'm really excited to check that out right down the road from Mulligan's. I'm really excited to get out to Mulligan's. Um, I went out there, I think it was three or four years ago. Now, I think when the first course, first time it ever went in and it was me and Paul Uliberry and Ricky Wysocki actually went out there and, and played the course. And we went up to Idaho uh, to play the disc dash for what is the disc dash for cash now, but we went out to Mulligan's and played it. And then the Utah open came into fruition and uh, it's great to see Jade be successful. I'm really excited to get out to Utah and, uh, and be involved with it for the first time this year. Oh, so this will be your first time playing the tournament. First time playing the Utah Open, yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. And I will go ahead and tell you that uh, next week uh, at the Fort, we will be doing our pod, this podcast. You can actually sit in the audience and watch. Um, and then we'll also be doing the Tea Time Selection Show for that tournament. Sounds awesome. Yeah, so uh, you'll be able to tune in and watch us pick your name out of a hat and find out who Hopefully, you're- Hopefully yeah. my name eventually comes out. Yes. <laughs> I, I suspect it will, unless it's lodged underneath the seam down in the cup somewhere. Yeah. Or hat. Probably. Uh, thank you, Will. Have a great night. Yes. Give All right. Thanks, Steve. Trish. Okay, I will. Thank Wait, you. Wait, is Trish coming to Utah? No, she's not. She's coming to Alaska. She had to choose between Utah oh. and Alaska. Alaska won by a large margin. I would not tell Jade. <laughs> okay, we will try not to. Okay, yeah, just... Okay. Thank you all. Have a good night. So that was Will Schustrick uh, from Disc Golf Instruction and Prodigy Disc Golf helping us talk about course variety, giving us some great tips about uh, things you shouldn't do. And if you want to see those other 12 death moves, uh, go to disc golf instruction. It sounded like scrolling down a little bit and, uh, it's a free video on the site. And, uh, I, I love Will's mind and how well he thinks about the game. So we're going to close out now. Uh, we're going to get to the fan vote for the Utah open. We're going to go through some pro tour news. We'll do some fan, some listener questions. Uh, I'll check the chat and then, uh, and get some extra questions. If we have any, I'll go over what my favorite non disc golf podcast is, and then we will sign off for the night. Uh, the fan vote for the Utah open. First of all, thank you guys very much uh, for your understanding. Um, while we are working through improving all of our productions, um, limited resources combined with ability and passion, uh, lead to constant striving to do better with less. Uh, we have the most passionate fans in the world. Thank you guys for for watching and listening. And we're going to just continue to work to bring you the best that we can. Um, this fan vote, I love the tradition that we're building. Uh, the fans literally decide who they want to see. And with the amazing amounts of video uh, videos that we are creating, uh, we're not just picking one or two players. We're actually picking four players to be play, to play on four different featured cards. That is awesome. Um, thank you very much to Jomez, Central Coast, uh, Terry Miller, Smashbox, everybody, the disc golf guy who is Terry Miller. But anyway, uh, Everybody's doing a fantastic job. And here are the fan vote winners for the Utah Open. Uh, in first place, uh, he's going to be on the live card going off last, Colton Montgomery. Been playing crazy hot for the last month and a half. Uh, he was actually on the lead card, I think the final round in Jonesboro. And he's been up there a lot. I don't know if he's been on the lead card since then, but he's going to be on the feature card at the Utah Open. And I would not be surprised if he's on the lead card in round two. So we might be able to watch him 
start and finish that that tournament this is going to be really exciting in second place uh he'll be on i believe the jomez coverage is austin hannum and in third place on the central coast uh coverage going off at 10 is anthony barella so that's your first second third on the mpo side on on the ladies side Paige burkus uh, who got actually double the point votes of Colton Montgomery. Uh, she is the uh, number one women's vote getter, and she'll join the women's feature card. So at the Utah Open, uh, the 10 o'clock card, which will be covered by Central Coast on day one, is uh, Paul Ulivari, uh Garrett Gerthy, Will Schustrick, and Anthony Barella. So, Will, you will not need to... Uh, listen in next Wednesday to figure out when your tea time is. It'll be at 10 o'clock uh, with Paul Ulibarri, Garrett Gerthy, and Anthony Barella. That is a packed card. Uh, at noon, uh, and this is the Jomez card, will be Jeremy Colling, Eagle McMahon, Drew Gibson, and Austin Hannum. Uh, there are some pretty good players there as well. And um, on the lead live coverage card, the live coverage feature card, will be the defending champion, Ricky Wysocki, uh, Paul McBeth, Bobby Music, and Colton Montgomery. Uh, that is going to be another great card. Uh, Ricky and Paul obviously had that battle in San Francisco, and uh, we're going to start off the next Pro Tour event, the Utah Open, with them continuing that battle. Uh, the women's featured card, we will do same-day shot-by-shot coverage. It'll start the hour prior to the live broadcast. And on that card will be Jessica Weiss, Katrina Allen, Lisa Fakus, and Paige Bjorkis. Um, a great card. And, well, Katrina just won the, the Beaver State Fling. Uh, Jessica Weiss was knocking on the door uh, in... Uh, in San Francisco, Lisa Fakus might be the best putter on tour, and Paige Bjorkis, the fan boat, that's going to be an exciting card to watch. So let's get ready to close this thing out. Uh, Disc Golf Pro Tour news. Uh, not a ton going on, but uh, Seth Fenley put together a really interesting article about the 100-win club and the fact that this is a really interesting year in disc golf with uh, Paige Pierce, uh, Kel Laviska, Dave Feldberg, Paul McBeth all carding their 100th MPO win already this year. Uh, other players that uh, are really close and, and might get there, uh, Ricky Wysocki, uh, Chris Dickerson uh, is not actually that close, but he's winning a lot of, lot of events very fast. And then interestingly, Eric McCabe, who's sitting at 82 MPO wins, plays five or six events a year, he just might get there. It'll be really interesting to see if Eric is able to get to the 100 win mark. So a really interesting article by Seth Fenley on 100 wins. Very cool. So uh, listener questions, the, uh, if you go to dgpt.com slash AMA, that's the ask me anything page on our site. Uh, we got two questions this time, uh, this week, and they are interestingly, maybe not interesting, the same person, but they're both about the, the tour championship. Uh, the first says, uh, please explain the drops and when they are applied to tour points. And I'm assuming we're talking about the event drops. So uh, over the course of the season, there are nine events and your worst two events Place-wise, we, we drop those events from your points. So you get points from your top seven events. Uh, and then, uh, and, and that's just to everybody, number one, people sometimes get injured, uh, sometimes travel to Europe, sometimes have family weddings, all sorts of things come up. And so we just, it just makes sense to give you, let you take your top seven events. Um, then the other question was, what is the tour championship payout? And this is interesting because we're about halfway through the season. Oh, I should, I should follow that up. After the Utah Open, we will go ahead and calculate out the, uh, the tour point leaders with the points, with the two events dropped. And those events will, last year they were grayed out. So I presume those would be grayed out again. So uh, it'll be easier to follow the tour points after the Utah Open going forward. Uh, what is the tour championship payout? We're about halfway through the season. So this is the point where we start to think about this kind of stuff. 
We actually have an article uh, that we released on February 20th, 2018. You can go to our website or just type in uh, Disc Golf Pro Tour Payouts 2018. I bet this comes right up in your Google. Um, and it says Pro Tour Payouts up $10,000. Um, and the, here we go. The total tour championship payout this is at the finals at the tour championship finals in jacksonville that will was talking about that he proposes should be part of our grand slam it's a total of about forty eight thousand dollar payout and the tour points payout is actually forty five hundred dollars um, the winner of the tour championship will get seventy five hundred dollars uh, on the mpo side and on the fpo side they'll get twenty five hundred dollars so, uh, again, you can go through, uh, go just type in Disc Golf Pro Tour Tour Championship uh, 2018 payout in Google and uh, go to our website and it'll, it'll pop right out. The article was put out February 20th, 2018. Good question, though. Thank you. Um, what is your favorite non-disc golf podcast? This is just my favorite question that I was ever asked. So I'm just going to, each week that I remember, I'm going to go ahead and tell you one. And uh, the one this week is called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, he just came out with his uh, his third season. So uh, you've got a lot of listening if you haven't heard any of that. And uh, I envy you that, that enjoyment that you will get listening to him. He's the guy that pointed out to me that... Uh, David and Goliath, um, David, who could, who could throw a, who could, who could hit somebody from about 60 yards, uh, was by far should have been favored in that battle over Goliath who had about a four foot sword. So realistically, David, uh, Goliath had no chance and Malcolm Gladwell pointed that out to me. And I thought that was a, a really good take. So I'm going to go to the chat right now and see if there's any questions so if you have any questions you want me to answer right now, this is a good time. Page didn't win 100 in MPO. <laughs> That's true, Mike Mack. Paige Pierce probably did not win 100 events in MPO. Um, good point. I hope that this chat is not full of people making comments as salient as that. Uh, maybe salient is not the right word to use in our sport. Uh, Beaver State Fling was a brutal weight and hard to avoid spoilers. Hopefully one day live coverage will work everywhere live coverage you're getting on cable tv would grow the sport far more than live spectators larry that's a really interesting point and one that i'm i'm careful about um we need to have it's funny because sporting events are really fun to watch for me when i see spectators on site so because i those spectators have emotions that i want to be a part of so if there's nobody there and it's an empty arena I don't really even want, want to watch as much, even if it's the best players in the world. So we have to have some players on site, but we don't necessarily need 5,000 people in Maple Hill. So uh, I, I agree with that point entirely. Thank you very much. Uh, Mike Mack, thank you very much. I love what I do as well. Um, and thank you for pointing out that Paige did not win 100 tournaments in the open division. Um, remember, you can't fail if you don't try. So let's all try. Uh, thank you very much and have a good night. We'll see you next week on Pro Tour Talk.